0: This episode is brought to you by Pillar Performance, with the help of me, Frederick Funk. I'm used to doing most of Jack's work for him, as you know, but I didn't think he would ask me to do his advertising reads for him. This is a new one. I've been using Pillar since the end of last year. I've never really placed a focus on micronutrition, but began hearing about what Pillar had developed in Australia and I thought I would reach out to learn more. I was impressed with the level of research and discovery that team is doing in relation to micronutrients and performance helping to solve for sleep, recovery, immunity, energy and inflammation. All things important to me but things I hadn't really been focusing on. I'm a big fan of my sleep. As those who watch my YouTube channel know, so when my aura data showed me the increased performance from taking the triple magnesium, I became completely obsessed. I also have been using the Ultra Preactive in the morning with my breakfast for increased energy throughout the day and the ultra C has helped me avoid illness this season. It also tastes delicious. To get 20% off, use the code HTT20. It's working worldwide and the code is also available on the
1: feed. I'm so excited to bring you a brand new mini-series of the Triathlon Hour called The Coaches. What I've done is I've picked 12 of the world's best triathlon coaches and split them up into pairs. I've then asked those pairs to catch up over a coffee and have a conversation about triathlon training and coaching. And the most important part... I've recorded those conversations so that we can all be flies on the wall listening to two of the world's best triathlon coaches have a conversation as if we were there. The first pair is the coach of Jan Fredino, Arn Haag and Lucy Charles-Barclay, Dan Lorang, and he's joined by the current Ironman World Champion winning coach of Chelsea Sadaru, Dan Plews. Let's go.
2: All right, I guess we um, we're kicking well. Well, Dan, honestly, um, just we were just on the show just before, and um, Jack was saying, you know, he's he wants to get two of the world's best triathlon coaches, and and I certainly don't put myself in the same league as yourself. So, but it's um, an absolute pleasure to be having the opportunity to have a bit of a coaches chat with you today. I've all I think we had um, when Jack originally asked us to. To hook up online and and record this podcast i said to jack well i don't i've never spoke to dan and this is our second time talking and i think i said the first time that i've always been a big fan of your work and followed what you do
3: so um no it's a pleasure pleasure to be here thank you very much uh, dan so uh I, I see it i think exactly the same like you so i i also don't really like to say okay the, the one of the best coaches or say one is higher than the other so i'm I'm always really happy to um, to chat to people who are who share the same passion, and um, I see uh, with the work what you what you are doing, the, the feedback what your athletes are giving from your work, and that um, it seems there are a lot of similarities between us, and that is uh, something what I, I yeah really like in the world of sports to find these people to chat to, to talk about the good stuff, also talking about problems, talking about challenges, and uh, so that's why great um, to catch up here for the second time. And have a, these a virtual coffee. <laughs> yeah, exactly.
2: I do have a cup of tea here next to me, so I am kind of drinking a drink as as, as we go along. Ah, that's great. <laughs> yeah, exactly. One of the one of the questions that um Jack tried to guide us with a few thing, a few pointers, and he said, you know, do, is the is the competition between coaches? You know, and I think I think like we all we all like I think we are quite competitive, but I think we're just we're competitive for our athletes, right? Of course, we want to see our athletes coming out on top. And, um, but I think we're. I mean, I have um, I have ch- chats with um, Bjorn, Bjorn Gaesman as well, and Jim Vance, and and now for, fortunately yourself. And I, it's it, like you say, it's so good to um, to share information because obviously nobody knows it all, do they? But having said that, we did. I did get one overview at the um, at the Saint Moritz, not not Saint Moritz, the um, the Challenge Championships, because Aaron just finished in front of Freddie, so I will take that. <laughs> <laughs> Well, that's that's about the only time. So I guess I guess where 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 to begin. I mean, I think when we chatted before, um, one of the things that we we talked about. You talk, talk, told me about is how your coaching has changed over time, and and it's and I think we both agreed that we we both feel that coaching as you as you get more mature, you become a bit more philosophical with the coaching. Do you feel like that, particularly with like in bore hands and whatnot? you're now in that kind of more managerial role and you know as you described it you're trying to create a performance environment is that also something that you try to create within the triathletes that you coach and if that is the case how do you do that because obviously it bore of hands, you're seeing them all the time but then I guess you don't have as much um, hands-on hands-on with the athletes like Jan and Annie and Lucy and whatnot.
3: Yeah, it's a really good point. And um, yesterday uh, evening, I met uh, Louis Delaye, also um, quite a famous coach in triathlon and cycling, and we had dinner together. And uh, also, he told me, for example, uh, there are a lot of good trainers outside, but, but um, for personal best or for world class um, results, you you need to to be a good coach. And yeah, there's a there's a difference between trainer and coach, and. Um, I think, like you said, in when you see the athletes on a daily base or when you have a lot of contact with them in person, I think this is something what for sure easier because seeing people interact with them, seeing their reaction on what you tell them is um, much more easier than having them jam- just on the phone or on a, on a I don't know video call. But I think think this kind of guidance and guidance I don't mean only the, the training plan, but this kind of mental guidance. So one thing is the training plan. And the second point is that the athlete is 100% convinced that what he's doing or she's doing is the best way to go and will also bring her or himself to the the goals. I think this is also uh, one part of coaching. It's explaining, it's uh, selling is perhaps a bad word for it, but it's uh, um, an athlete need to have trust in you and in your work. And uh, in my situation, like you mentioned it, I don't have the possibilities to see my athletes on a daily basis. I see them I don't know to try uh, two or three times a year what is not good i don't say that's a good thing but it, for me it's not possible to do it in a different way but what is here important is that they have the feeling okay we have a concept we have an idea when we fail then we say okay what can we learn from it and we talk about it and we continue to move on so it's not just a training plan but it's really the the whole stuff around and Sure, coaching could uh, be much more like that because it could also be what is in the personal life going on, um, the, all the mental stuff, etc. Uh, etc. Et and there, I have to say, with my 12th, I have also some other people involved in that team because it's always a, a teamwork when I work with athletes. So, the physiotherapist, the psychologist, uh, the wife, the husband, um, whatever it is, because I cannot fully deliver that part. Um, that's why. We split it i would say not that we say this is your part and this is my part but it just happens and my part in coaching and uh, being a trainer is setting up the training program explaining giving the confidence and guiding athletes towards hopefully their best possible uh results. that's how i see it and uh, I, yeah we talked already last time and then you also have really interesting views on that because like you said this also changed in the, in the when I came from university. I thought, hey, the right training plan, right training zones, and then we go, and that's what it needs. But I see now over years that it's much more like that. And uh, yeah, I'm. I think it's quite uh, interesting also to hear your view on that.
2: Yeah, it's a real, it's a real interesting one. I I was actually I was interviewed um, by a Swiss newspaper um, yesterday. I'm actually actually in Switzerland right now, and one of the things that they asked me was you know what what some of my things I believe in in coaching and of course you know I I went and told them about specific you know demand demand driven training and working on working on areas of the physiology that need some work but one of the other things I said is that since I've been in in Switzerland I've been seeing Chelsea and Jan pretty much every single day and now you know I've been with Chelsea now for nearly a month and it's actually been really enlightening as to how much better it can be when you see them every day because as a scientist I always thought that I could really depend on the data and get what I needed. But I think it's um of course it helps, but it doesn't, but when you have them both at the same time, it it, it just increases the the power of the training by I think by you know nearly 100 percent It's really it's been really interesting. And um one of the things that in this magazine they I said to them that I think it's really important to me as I've got older is the training environment and creating the right training environment, as well as just the training has huge implications on the training itself. I mean, just from my experience and even word of mouth, there's a lot of training groups that aren't actually that pleasant to be in. And I, and I really don't think it has to be that way. And I think, you know, happy athletes enjoying training, doing the right training always seems to yield better results. And um, with that becomes, Comes the trust as well, they' they're happy and they're understanding the training, then the trust comes all in in one. and once they're trusting you, trusting what they're doing, then I think it's all about it's a it's a win-win, right?
3: yeah, uh, exactly. so I, I think that's now also really interesting for you to see the difference because, yeah, when you're coaching them from a distance and now being really there day by day. And um I had this situation when I was national coach in Germany, where I have over four years really, my athletes there on a daily basis, and I think to be honest, the the best thing is a mixture. So I think the best thing um, is really to have this on off. So uh, really, yeah. like like you did it now, for example, having this training yeah. camp together, being uh, two weeks together or whatever it takes, uh, and then going back again in the own environment. Especially when the athletes are already a little bit, um, yeah, older, let's say, with young athletes. Probably better for them to be there uh, every day, but with um, older athletes, they have their life, they have their partners. They they also don't want to be every day with the coach. I think so. Um, I think to have this mixture is really an, a good thing. And if I could really choose for it, then that would also be my way of of coaching individuals. Really creating sometimes the spot where you bring um, also perhaps uh, several athletes together. And then going back again, going home or wherever, and um, yeah, combining this, this this online coaching with coaching on place.
2: Yeah, that's one thing. I mean, I think one thing that we have I've learned from just being overseas and spending time with the athletes is, like you say, it's definitely. I think it surprised me and Chelsea to, to some extent at how how good it's been, and I think, like you say, now we're definitely going to make real concerted efforts to come together at those. Are those key training points so with that do you think do, do you use data more with your triathletes than you would with the cyclists for example because i guess the reason i ask is that there's this idea you know is coaching an art or a science and of course some coaches sit more on the science side some coaches sit more on the you know or on the art side do you find that you shift a little bit because when you see athletes daily you can i guess you can you can verge more on the art side but if you've never seen them you've really got to be more on the science and the data side do you do you actually have differences do you think between what you're doing with the the cyclists and with the triathletes or or is it i mean is your, is your role not really coaching as much with Bora hands now um yeah
3: yeah so in in the past the six years i really was coaching and training and the, the athletes and um to better understand also the cyclists they live all around the world or let's say all around europe and you see mm-hmm. them in camps and you see them at races but you don't see them on daily basis. so in cycling this uh, online coaching or this co- remote coaching is already there for uh for years um so you i see them more or i saw them more often than the triathletes but still there was a lot of time in the year where i didn't saw them and it was basically the same looking at the data but then and that and that is for me a really important tool, the language or the, the comments what athletes are giving to their sessions. So how they comment the session or some send me a voice message, some put a um, and a comment on training peaks, uh, then also the frequency when they send me messages. So basically uh, how they behave in that communication. There is a lot of information for me in, in that. Because when you know your athlete already, you really can get a lot out of it. Probably you you feel already, oh, something is going not in the right direction. Even if the data don't show it, probably um, the athlete is still able to hit the at ty- uh, the times what you fixed, but it, the feeling was not what you wanted to be or what you expect it to be. And uh, these small things, I really take care about these small things. Yeah, and that's why I always say to every athlete that I need a calibration time. So a, a time where uh, where I have to see okay how is the feedback from the athletes what do I expect from the session how do I expect the athlete to feel during the session and to calibrate this with the feelings of the athlete and this takes yeah some some weeks sometimes some months and then we are always uh, I'm I'm um, a lot of times quite close to the real situation and just one uh, additional point and also really important point so we have the data we have this feedback and with nearly all my athletes that I coach online, there is the a person behind somewhere. It is the husband, the physiotherapist, the swim coach, um, the mental coach. So I have other people who probably see the athlete and who can give me information always in a way that it's it's useful for yeah for developing the whole program.
2: Yeah, that, that last point is really important: is having the I have the same thing is it's usually usually it's the spouse that's that's my go-to because often the athletes won't really tell you. <laughs> it's often like, especially when things are going bad, you, you sometimes the communication just suddenly starts to dwindle and you're not hearing, you know, comments in today's plan suddenly you're getting one for every session, and then suddenly you're getting one a week, and then it's like, and then you and then you say, Oh, you, you know, is everything okay? But sometimes it's good to follow up with your person on the ground, right? To see how they're
3: to see how they're going, and I think that's uh, that's re- that's really that's really important as well. I would have one, uh, one interesting question now. Now, where you saw uh, Chelsea and where uh, where you saw Jan, would you now change, or will you now change something in your coaching, or did you have now a complete different view on what you expected? Yeah, I think I think I knew it would be better, but I didn't realize how how much better. And I
2: think the main thing it would really change is actually making more of a concerted effort like you know planning at the start of the year when we, when we make the global plan of races um and training is try and actually put in those periods and say okay this period here we'll be together here this period here we'll be together here you know and actually have as well as planning the calendar is we're planning periods where we try and try and be together because I think we both realize that it's such a powerful intervention that d- done at the right times in the right place it's going to really impact performance so um so yeah, i think that's the main thing but in terms of like i mean th- we've actually done more with data since i've been here because i can obviously you know as i'm here i can we you know we can use them we can use some implementations um some interventions and whatnot and do some extra testing so um i wouldn't say the scientific the science has gone down or anything it's gone up but we've just done more of everything because it's easier right and and i also think it's the What's really cool is the conversations ha- that are had around around training are often the ones that are the most enlightening, and um, you learn a lot from as well. Just um, from spending spending time together, you know, during a during a cool down or during a warm up, or just walking walking to the pool, you know, those those little moments can
3: be quite um, quite insightful. Yeah, and I think this is the magic what happens when you are together, this human factor. So that this uh, link what you have together, this human side gets stronger. I think, and this this can also help. When I at the beginning of our talk, I said, "Yeah, you, know, you need commitment, um, also for the training plan." So, uh, and when you are there, when you can transport this personally, when you, when you when you uh, spend time together, when you talk also about different topics than just training and uh, competition, I think this is all. It's also some kind of extra trust. Extra percentage in performance at the end. I think that is the real, yeah. real thing. What what happens when you are together? For sure, you the quality of training can be higher. You can measure a lot of stuff, but I think in the end, when when you would measure everything, I think is human factor that would be, may have, in my opinion, the biggest impact. At least that's how I felt because, um yeah, sometimes I don't know when I i can remember was with Annie um, or with Lucy. We have been in the wind tunnel uh, and. Um, This uh, just these two days uh, spending together there was already great or I was in in winter I was uh, in UK just visiting them at home for uh, two days and it was not a short time but this short time gave yeah a really good atmosphere we talked about different stuff and uh, I think this creates something and that is in my opinion also really important and the big difference when you're just coaching online or when you time by time also have the possibility to to see the, the human being behind.
2: <laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean, I know that I mean, I think people watching this will know quite famously. I was working with a with a said pro triathlete for a very short period of time um this year, just three months. And of course, as you know, like we I never we never actually met in person during that time or anything like that. And I think, you know, it's just so I, I think it's so hard to get to know someone over a three month period and make a change, but also build to build a true level of trust when you haven't really when you haven't met them and you're over the side of the side of the world over the side of the world, I think that's um, you know it's quite hard, right? I mean, and I think that's one thing. Not just with Chelsea, like with all my other pros that I work with. The one thing that I'm really trying to work on and build upon for next year is training camps and and time together. So, um, so yeah, because I just think it, it's so hard. Otherwise, right? There's some. I mean, before I um I was working with Chelsea for more than a year before I actually met her in person the first time. So it's
3: quite quite extraordinary, really.
2: <laughs> but all you live in New Zealand is a long way from everywhere.
3: <laughs> yeah, and and it also worked quite well, I, I guess. Um the sort of build up. So it's uh, yeah, that, that's what I mean. It's it's not that it changed dramatically, in my opinion. So you can mm. also coach well from distance, but there is some extra in. And yeah. um that's that's uh, what makes it uh, special, and it's interesting because I try to get the same approach also for next year. I talked also already to uh, one of the athletes to say, "Hey, I want to change yeah, something at least, yeah, to have a period where we can meet and um, yeah, just training uh, together just to create this moment." So my plans for next year are a little bit the same like what you say now. <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure.
2: Um, one question that I wanted to I wanted to ask you because. Um... Just because it's the personal interest of mine in an area that I was a, I was fortunate enough to go to the Tour of Switzerland last week at the start of the prologue. Um, I did ask if you were there, but I was told that you weren't there because I did see the Bora Hans the team bus. But I met a few teams, and one of the things that came out quite a lot was how much they were all using ketones generally. generally. Are you, is that something that is quite prevalent in the Tour de France or the cycling, professional cycling at the moment? And and if so, how are most of them using
3: them? Um, yeah, so in cycling, it's a little bit, not a little bit, it's a difficult topic because I don't know if you followed the news in the last two years about it. And there were um, basically, they came out the ketones, then teams are using it. Then there come, come some comments. Are they probably uh, dangerous for athletes? Is it a legal, uh, at the moment, a legal doping or should it be banned? what are the long-term effects, and there's also an association calling MPPC, and when you are a member of the team of this association, you even say that you don't uh, suggest to your athletes that uh, they take key turns. Oh, right, wow. And so basically, it's like uh, something, oh, we don't really know what happens, but yes, it's... Um, it's spread in the peloton. I would not say that everybody is using it, and I think it's really a, a different. um there yeah, are different kind of using it, also um, a little bit linked to the price. Uh, I would say. Yeah. Um. I I know a standard. I know a standard uses that people that teams are using it for recovery, for example. Yeah. Uh, after the race, I know that some teams using it for during the race or somehow in the middle of the race. And so there are really different approaches. I also know people who use it basically on a daily basis. And there are also some studies coming out. Um, So it's really a big mixture. Yeah, And uh, it's also not a secret in our team. Um, So we don't don't say we do it like this or like that. It's more if an athlete sees a benefit in ketones, we talk about it. And at least we can... um, help him to, to look what is the scientific base at the moment and uh, what what could be a product to use. But it's not that we, so as a team, we don't provide them. So because we are also a member of that association. I don't know. Um, I think that you are basically more uh, more in that. I think, so the first time when uh, I heard your name uh, was always linked to low carb and um, yeah. to ketones and to all that stuff. So that was the first time when I got in contact with uh with yeah. your name and uh, where i said okay who is that guy <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's
2: interesting and, and it's interesting yeah. that um i always
3: say that like you know my
2: my actual my main area of work is in heart rate variability but you know that that's not as interesting <laughs> as people the <to> low carb diet <laughs> and ketones. so people seem to click onto to that but i actually my actual main area is in in exercise physiology and, and specifically heart rate variability but um, just to finish up on on the ketones, yeah, I mean it is, is an area of interest of mine. But because we were with um Britling, which is um, Jan was Jan's one of Jan's sponsors, so we actually got behind some of the teams. And I was talking to some to some of the the coaches, and the you know Jan said, "Oh, Dan's a sports scientist, blah blah blah," and um, and they were all nearly all of them had bought a lot of them, but they were uh, but they were using them mainly for recovery and before sleep, which actually makes. You know, that makes the most sense in terms of what the literature is saying i think we don't really understand how to use them properly during racing yet but um no i was just i, I was just interested that i can i just couldn't believe how much people were talking about it so i was i was that's the man in the know because you're you're definitely on the ground more than me um yeah i have to say i always um i always when i was younger my dream job was always to work in a professional cycling team but um i think uh, I, I, that ships. That ships long sailed now. So I'm always. I'm. I'm kind of. I get more. um We're probably on this about how how they. You know the triathlon. We're talking about triathlon, and we're talking about cycling too much. But I just. Uh, I just get a bit more um,
3: fat fanboyed around cyclists than I do triathletes for some reason. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, so um, yeah, you're talking to a head of performance of a cycling team. So if you move to Europe, we can talk about everything. Else. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. yeah, maybe, yeah. No, I, 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 I think I know how you how you feel about it because it's also a little bit um, same with me. So I'm also I'm I'm passionate about cycling. I'm passionate about trial I would not say I love one more than the other. It depends yes. a little bit. You have two different worlds, but in the end, the sport. So it's always endurance sport and um mm-hmm. so that's why i'm really um uh, really thankful also to my team that i'm still allowed to to be part of the trial on world a little bit to still yeah. coach some athletes and uh, be in contact uh, with them and not not just focusing on one thing i think this classical thing just being in cycling uh to be honest i think then that would not be i wouldn't mean enough i think there's enough work to do that for sure but uh not really fulfill me so for me yeah having this both uh, uh, both words on different sport that makes it uh, really interesting i i guess the yeah, same yeah. like uh, like you have
2: it yeah and i and i also think it it definitely makes you into a, a more well rounded and better coach and you know i think if you have a strong understanding of exercise physiology you know you could really you can really coach any any sport really i think and any sport that's kind of individual and and physiologically based there's great crossovers between learn, you know what you're learning one sport will always cross over to the next I mean I think it becomes a bit hard if you're trying to do like cycling and and like Premier League football for example that becomes a little, a little bit tricky but like you know I've I've worked in um, I worked in rowing for eight years I still work with the women's kayak program and you know working in these sports which I know absolutely nothing about was really good and I, I had to learn about the sports I had to learn the physiology I had to learn the determinants of success in those sports and I think it makes you um, a better coach overall because you don't just accept that this is the way you you train because people have always trained this way. You know, if you've never been in that training, you kind of question a little bit more. And I think that's really beneficial. Have Have you done triathlon yourself, Dan? Did you start off as a triathlete yourself, competitive or?
3: No, I played nine years soccer and then I did cycling because I had some knee issues. And yes. um, I did cycling on a yeah semi-professional level, and then during my studies uh, I I also did triathlon, but this was really basic. Uh, there I met Annie, uh, so in one triathlon course uh, from the university, And that's how we came together for as coach and athlete. And um, but I never did it uh, like you, for example, on uh, yeah on that level on that performance level. So um, that was on one side. That for sure, not, not the best, because I cannot tell somebody, it. I know how it feels to do an Ironman. No, I don't know, because I never did it, but, and that is, I think, something good is, or I see two good things in it. One was, I know what it means going to training camp, I know what it means getting, um, yeah, having a hunger flat in training, going to the limits, get, getting dropped in a cycling race, coming to the limits, going in bad weather, training on the road, so all that stuff, is I know. So I I know when you come to your mental limit and to your physical limit. And the second point was because I didn't have that history myself I try really to listen, to listen carefully to the athletes. What they tell me about their feelings, about what they think, about how they see competition. So really learning from the athletes. Also learning from coaches who have been athletes themselves. So I was quite really attentive to this. And I'm, I'm still also when I entered the cycling team uh, uh, in the end of 2016, I was before one year in the cyclic team, more like a scientist, but otherwise I had not really experience. And then I suddenly I had to coach eight world to a cyclist. And, um, okay, coaching a climber probably is quite, uh, you can imagine it's a little bit more like triathlon perhaps, pure uh, endurance space, but when it comes to a sprinter, it's a little bit different. And uh, for sure, I could not go to the sprint and say, yeah, yeah, for sure, I know how it feels going the last 500 meters or 200 meters. And you feel like this and that, and you have to do and this and that. No, I had to get the information from the athletes, from the sport director, looking at videos. And um, and I, I also never tried to, to play their game in front of the athletes. So they knew, okay, he was never a professional, but he tries to understand us. And on the other side, his strength is the science, is the knowledge, is the... Yeah, the other data. So that's how how I always had good relations.
4: Hi, we're Luke and Beth McKenzie, the co-founders of Win Republic. We're also former professional triathletes.
5: You can't be too modest. This is supposed to be an ad. He actually won nine Ironmans in his career.
4: Well, you won an Ironman when our daughter turned one. That's pretty solid too.
5: Okay, let's rewind. In 2013, when Luke came second at the Ironman World Championships, he was one of the first pro triathletes to focus on aerodynamics. He wore a sleeved aero tri-suit in the race when pretty much everyone else was still sporting sleeveless tri-tops and budgie smugglers. In the end, though, I think your trucker hat became more well-known than your aero suit.
4: Until six years ago, when we started Win Republic, I was passionate about aerodynamics and performance gains in textiles.
5: And I was passionate about style and functions.
4: I wanted to call the brand Air Roo because I'm an Aussie, get it?
5: <laughs> I quickly vetoed that. Fortunately, we landed on Win Republic, named after our first daughter, Wynn, but also in the spirit of winning.
4: Our flagship logo is the California Bear and the Australian Southern Cross, a blend of our heritage and a reminder that our brand is built on family and passion for this sport.
5: So please check out the slipperiest and sexiest tri suits and cycling gear on winrepublic.com and keep listening for Jack's Triathlon Hour discount code.
1: Okay, so I'm super excited to bring you all a 15% off discount code for WinRepublic. That discount code is TTH15. I've been using WinRepublic basically since they started. I saw them as the first tri suit brand that made aerodynamic comfortable suits that also looked amazing. They changed the game in my opinion for triathlon suits. And I honestly wouldn't race in anything else because my non-negotiables in a race suit are exactly that, that they're fast, comfy, and look awesome. I also use their cycling kit every single day and have done for about three years now. And something I love is that it's made by Luke and Beth, who were both Ironman champions. And I mean, look at Luke. He was a second place finisher at Kona. They were amazing professional triathletes who understand exactly what we all want in our triathlon and cycling kit. That's what led them to start the brand because they, they saw that what they do now wasn't in the market. So they were the first people to do it and in my opinion, are still the best to do it. So head across to Win Republic's website and use the discount code TTH15 for 15% off your entire order.
2: I think athletes just look for you to have done something yourself. You know, you, I think if you have an understanding of what it's like to train 20 to 30 hours a week, I think, I think that's enough because even at rowing, I think... I had I, just because I was from a triathlon background and I trained myself quite a lot. I think it really helped um, get a bit of respect from the like the rowers straight away. Um, I, and I don't I don't think it necessarily has to be in that sport, but I do think you have to you have to get it a little bit. You know, you you have to understand what it's like to live and breathe the life of an, of an athlete. If you haven't really done that, I think it can be it can be quite hard to truly truly un- understand. Um so with with like obviously the cyclists, and I know that you know coming from the a German, German sports science background, um the, you know, we talked about this last time a little bit, the the major principles and VLA Max. And obviously, like VLA Max is of massive in, but much more important to uh Tour de France cyclists, for example, example, particularly if it, they're sprinting, right? Um so those who don't know what VLA Max is, it's basically the rate of lactate accumulation, but it's Linked highly to anaerobic capacity and and sprinting. Do you have you brought any of that stuff across into your Ironman triathletes? Because I'm just super interested if you if you look at that area like VLA max in Ironman triathletes when you consider it's not really a key a key area. And and if so, do you bring it in at the start of the season and and try and pump it up and then bring it down before racing? Do you do you do any of of that kind of thing with your with your professional athletes?
3: Um, so basically, with the cyclists, after four to five weeks when they are uh, back in training, we are doing um, performance tests where we also, yeah, check where where do we are where do we are with the metabolic profiles so or with the max, with the BLMX, and uh, then we we had our own field tests to um, yeah, to basically check how is the development of these values over the season. Like you said, probably for a sprinter, it's not so um, unimportant to know where you are because um, sometimes you have, I don't know, eight weeks going to the uh, in front of the Tour de France or of a Grand Tour, and you are probably not sure: is it more now the aerobic way what you want to go, or do you have to invest a little bit to raise again the lactate building weight or even to decrease it? So um, that's why we are using this um, this metrics for um, looking how training really um, affects the metabolic profile. I know we, you have just two numbers, it's not everything, but at least it, it's something. And um beside the normal stuff, we want like lactate measurement, heart rate, power, all this um, this kind of data. So we try to bring together a whole picture from the athlete and um, look how what is the response to training. And with the triathlete um triathlete I Try also to do it, especially in cycling, because there I can use basically the same field test, which uh, what we developed in running and in swimming, uh, I would say it's more, it's harder if you have not access to a lab or if you are not really on place. But also, there I think it's interesting to see which impact your training has. In the end, it doesn't matter. In the end, it's all about as it's faster or not. But uh, I think, especially in these first months of build up, it's good to see. How the response of the body is, and also when you have a new athlete, and I think that is it's even more important when you want to know who is there in front of me what is the profile of that athlete. What what are the right tools to work with him or her? There I see the biggest benefit. So in the first year that you work with somebody, you really see how the body adapts to uh, what you um, your training concept. I don't know how how yeah. you you are doing it with uh, because you're also not there. So if you subscribe always. Um, performance test to your athletes, or if you get all the information out of the training data um, what's your way to to monitor how uh, or to monitor your progress
2: yeah I'm, I'm i'm exactly i'm i'm very much the same is that i will um i always start particularly with an athlete that uh, a new athlete i always start with some lab testing so i'll usually incorporate lab testing with a vla max test as well so we will do you know just a standard vo2 max step testing um substrate utilization testing economy gross efficiency and then um usually i don't do it on running so much but then including it on the bike um some vla max testing and then and then kind of um trying to look at the gaps really the gaps in performance where i think the biggest the biggest gaps are and then earlier in the season um i'll i'll try and close those those specific physiological gaps because it's always interesting i always feel like i'm a bit of a cheat when it comes to you know towards racing because everyone you know everyone's kind of doing the same training by that kind of point in time because you have to be so you know demand driven the training has to be so demand driven you can't be training one person in threshold and another person in the vla match as an example when it's coming up to racing they have to be doing things that's specific towards the event right you can't um so that that that's sort of the approach i take and, you're dead right though like I you mean know, I've been coaching Jan Jan van Berkel now for nearly nearly 8 years and you know I think over time we've probably done less and less and less testing you know at the start we did more and more testing um and at the moment I've just started coaching Aaron Royal so we've already done one test this year and he's about to next week he's getting back in the lab again to do another test to see how he responded to the first kind of the first block of the season but yeah I do I do I do depend on it to to guide the program a little bit more, um, uh, but especially especially in athletes, that I don't know as well for sure.
3: How have you um? How have you found the Moxie? By the way, you said you were using that a lot more. I'm not pretty sure now. So there are two possibilities. All the first contact was when I had. So we worked together with uh, Kors, so the company uh, with GreenTech, the company what is working with temperature sensors. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and there we we had already that already years ago. I think three or four years ago. And there we talked already about it. Or was it the first time with Olaf? Because um, Olaf Alexander Wu is uh, also a friend of mine. Yeah. And uh, yeah, we are already in contact over the last years. And it could be that we talked in Sierra Nevada one day about it. I'm not sure what was the first contact. But first it was also more like, yes, mm, a little bit trying. And now, um, but I like the concept behind it. So having some kind of life measurement. And uh, now I wanted to get a little bit more information, and that's why um, yeah, I was using it just with more athletes and who also with different coaches now in our cycling team just to get feedback. I would not say that is now our key changer or whatever, or our game changer, um, but uh, we, we look now a little bit how can we use it, what is the best area, um, for example, in altitude, for example, in time trial positioning. And um, collecting information—that is the big benefit when you have uh, five coaches in your team, and um, everybody is working quite independently. So it's not that we say that's our coaching philosophy, and everybody has to do the same. Uh, so everybody can work on his strategy, on his uh, philosophy, and then bringing that together. And that's the same with the Moxie. So um, I, like, like you said, I, co- I try to create an environment, so try to organize the devices to test. And then our coaches are working with it and we bring together the information and try to share it and see, okay, probably we end up that two coaches. will continue to use it, probably the other not, or I'm not 100% sure. But um, I like tools that make live measurement, uh, measurement. That's why I also like a course. And so, but for sure, they also have to be meaningful uh, results. So if you always get different results, it's not accurate and for nothing, but, um, I also think that this will be not the Moxie itself, but live measurement, probably live lactate measurement or whatever. That this will be a little bit the future to, in sport science.
2: For sure, I, I've um, I I've quite liked, I've been using the Moxie MOXI quite a lot. For those who don't know, the Moxie is measuring muscle oxygenation. So it's um, basically if as intensity goes up, you get a lot, a bigger. Basically, it's recorded as a percentage in the muscle, and it. Um, and you really you look you don't look at actual values you look at the slope. So when intensity goes up, uh, muscle oxygenation goes down. But also it will continue to go down. So if you hold say two hundred watts, you might have quite stable muscle oxygenation. But as if you um if it becomes quite high intensity, it will it will come down over the course of time. And yeah, I mean we we were using it quite a lot when we were in in Saint Moritz and. We were finding it quite useful to really hone in on the like the Ironman intensity and looking at the slopes over longer efforts and and um, I mean the the numbers the numbers itself can be quite variable but I mean it, it doesn't really matter it's the, the slope that you look at I I just need to figure out a way to show the slope in real time because that's actually the number that you want um, and we also use the core sensor. Chelsea's also sponsored by VO2 Master, so we've been doing some pretty interesting stuff in resting metabolic rate and training loads and stuff in that space as well I mean the um the world of wearable technology is just out of this world but unfortunately it's it's almost a I don't know about you but it's a full-time job keeping on top of the data right if you really want to get into that that stuff when you got the core sense of the VO2 master the Moxie heart rate lactates um just managing
3: the data is almost a full-time job in itself uh, absolutely good point what you mentioned there and uh, at some point you come also to your limits and i think then you also have to be restrictive and say what is really helping you and what is just nice to have also for the athletes because for sure you have athletes they like to work with 10 different sensors and when one sensor is not working they stay calm and they use the next one but you also have athletes who get really stressed yeah just by using all the technology And I think then, as a coach, and there comes now I think one of our jobs to really say, okay, look, with this athlete I use five tools. With this athlete, I'm using three tools because if I am using five, the negative effect is much higher. Uh, And with the other one, I can use eight, and I can even try something new one. So there, athletes are really, really individual. And in the end, um, I'm happy with for every device that I uh, that I'm not using because that makes it more simple, like you said. Um, it makes it just um, easier to handle the data. But if I see or think, okay, we need that device because otherwise we we are missing something, then for sure we are also using it. But, um, yeah, the, the, the more forward the technology goes, the more workload you have here. And here is a little bit my hope because everybody talks about artificial intelligence. And I think, and I'm pretty sure, Artificial intelligence will not replace coaching, but uh, on the other side, it will probably help yeah. to manage data yeah. and to give you uh, more time to take care about your athletes. I think that would be a really good um, working together between technology and and human.
2: Yeah, exactly. And give you, you know, actually just point you, give you some, uh, like do some learning itself, and give you, give you some insights. I mean, some some data is just really. I mean, like, for example, the stride foot pod, you know, I have my athletes wearing the stride foot pod often, but we're not doing any, we're not doing any training on power running. Like I'm not saying run at 350 watts for 10 minutes or whatever, but it just provide, it's just so simple because it goes on the foot. You don't even know it's there. It links to your watch and then you have respective data if you want to look at it. And then you can compare, you can go back and compare runs and heart rates and stuff. And I find that, really useful but it's always hard to convince someone to put something on all the time to you know like put on because even just putting on the moxies st- sticking it on your leg for every single session we just use it for key sessions is it you know when they're training that much it can become become quite burdensome you know so um do you are you using i mean obviously you talked about um olaf who's you know really setting the Driving the way forward in terms of you know coaching, particularly on on the men's scene at the moment, and he you know the Norwegians are really famous for using lactate in their training, and and seems to be they seem to be using it all the time. I don't really know fully how they use it, but I'm thinking it's something to do with intensity regulation. But are you using a lot of lactate in your training?
3: Um, yeah, so lactate we are using quite um, quite a lot when when we have training camps. Um, mm. Because that is easy to use, and uh, also you, if you use it regularly, then also the interpretation gets better. So if you make one lactate yeah. measurement, that's basically for nothing. But if you know lactate levels from your athlete, if you're using them really, like I said, regularly, and um, then uh, I think it's an easy and useful tool. And that's also something where we, as a team, for example, where we invest them, where we say, okay. Buy a little bit more lactate stripes, and um, yeah, we think that makes really sense to, to do it. Um, no matter if it's an altitude or if it's in a normal um, training camp, um, or if it's even at home, some athletes and measuring uh, during their own trainings, and also with my trial it's something what uh, I like to use in specific training phases, and uh, just also to control intensity, um, and also to make the calibration sometimes between feeling, heart rate, power and the metabolic value with with lactate so I think that's a really useful tool if you are also doing it with with knowledge so also you have to tell your athlete sometimes it can be that your measurement is just wrong because you got some sweat in it or you didn't yeah, did it like it should be but uh, if you are using it with uh, with uh, with the background knowledge with scientific knowledge I think lactate is still a really good uh, parameter for, yeah, for training or intensity control yeah I,
2: I agree. I, I i find it quite it can be quite a pain in the backside when you're when you're working with athletes and you ask them to do it themselves though, because it's it's actually not as easy as you think to do it and get a clean sample when you're not when you're you're not a little bit trained. I've had a lot of athletes who you know clearly have odd numbers. but by like you you say, I mean, I had a prime example the other day when I was trying to have when I had an athlete doing a threshold session. But um, but the lactates were in the you know six sevens, you know, um, just doing it far too hard, and it just changes the emphasis of the session, right? And that's where lactate can become really powerful. And also, uh, we have used it a little bit here, it was was for being away overseas as well, um, particularly after some Ironman specific sessions, you know, just to kind of check just if it is in the right spot, because obviously, if you're saying okay, we think this is kind of an Ironman pace run. Um, and then you take a lactate at the end, and it's four point five. You know it's probably um, not quite there yet. You know, so I find it quite helpful for that as well. But like you say, you've got to um, you've got to have regular measurements, and the more the more you take it, the more useful
3: it, it becomes for sure. Exactly. The more you take it, also the influence, for example, from uh, food, for example, on lactate uh, and all that stuff. You just get it when you when you use it really uh, regularly, and and there was also. an an eye-opening talk when I, I talk with uh, Olaf and I ask him, "Yeah, uh, how often do you take lactate?" And then he tells me, "Oh, I, I think we are do, doing 1,000 measurements uh, yeah. per year with one athlete." And then I said, "Oh, okay. Yeah, uh, that's that's something different. Yeah, uh, cool. okay, it's it's really extreme. And um, but um, in the end, it's uh, it's um, it's something when you are using lactate that you see that the more you are doing it, the better you understanding." The better is the interpretation. What you can do with the number.
2: Yeah, and and it only and like I say, this is where being on camp can really help, right? Because you can do, you can start to take it, take it a lot. Um, so, are you? Are you? What are your current? What are your current interests in the moment? Are you working on anything in particular in terms of interventions or sports science or any any areas of interest for for you at the moment?
3: Um, I had a talk with the journalists about this what is the new basically the new uh the new shit or how they say uh and and basically i said okay for this year for me it's more important to bring uh, the old shit all together to
5: to be really
3: (laughs) to be really on the top of of the game of that so um that's why i would say not 100 percent no not no i would say no uh, there are some interests, uh, something what you look at a little bit more like predicting um, performance or predicting talent, uh, because yeah, one of my part is also uh, like uh, yeah, we have in our team we have uh, two talent scouts and I um, was responsible here for, and then you always want to know okay, uh, what is now the difference between two guys having the same VO2 max, same like that, building rate, etc., etc. Who will be Probably the next two to fourth winner and who not.
2: Yeah, that's really interesting. Yeah. Uh.
3: So thinking a little bit in that direction. Yeah. Um. For sure, it's also good if you don't know it for hundred percent. Um. But um. Yeah. At least if you, do, uh, it's you have not unlimited money, so you have to see. Okay, where what can we do? What where can we invest? Who do we give a chance? And so it is a little bit a topic uh, about um. Yeah. Let me say genetics and all that stuff. Yeah. What is going on there? But it's uh. It's not that uh, I it, it takes 34 hours a day of my uh, of my uh, working life. It's more like yeah. something where I read some stuff about it and something where I look a little bit where how the developments are there and uh, what you can get out of it. Also to probably can you see something to have a better training? So can you see there? Can you see something in your I don't know in your DNA to get the right training methods for for that person or some stuff like that.
2: Yeah that's re- that's really I mean one is we don't hope if we pre- if we can predict it too well it'll make racing quite boring wouldn't it really um
3: if we- <laughs> no exactly that's why yeah no 100% um yeah, yeah.
2: So I I really like that idea of I, you know there's there's a lot I, I got sent some uh, an athlete that I was that I did some that I helped the other day you know they did one of these genetic reports and you know the genetic genetic reports it pinpointed the sort of training that they would adapt to but I just I just don't think we're there yet, you know, I just don't think, I just think the, epi- like, the, that kind of gene, looking at your genes and seeing what training you would respond to, I I, I think it's really interesting, but I'm not sure, I mean, when I was with, in rowing, we, we did a lot of stuff, we looked at, like, anaerobic and aerobic contributions to 2K, you know, and there was massive differences, you know, you'd have some, some would have like a 40% anaerobic contribution over a 2k row, some would have like a 20% contribution over a 2k row. So we were, I did a little bit of work looking, okay, the the people who are more anaerobic over a 2k, does that mean they need more aerobic work or, but we, I, I just came very stuck to try and find what, what works, because I'm not, I'm not really sure that you necessarily always have to train the weakness. Sometimes I think it's actually good to train someone's strength a little bit more um uh, but i'm super interested in in that, in that space i i to have a master's student look at look at it but it just was so difficult to match athletes you know doing the same time over 2k for example in in, in rowing but having different contributions because usually you would have someone who would have uh, a more uh, be more aerobic and more more anaerobic and just be faster generally so it became impossible but I think, I do think that's one of the, the futures of of training, really.
3: Yeah. Yeah, I think the more specific. So, at some point, you cannot do more training or more, more intense training. It's more like doing more specific training. So, individually, mm-hmm. more specific. And that's why I think, uh, yeah, you get information here and even not in one specific sport, but basically in endurance sports. So, how does training uh, impact yourself? So, what just really happened there? So the more knowledge you have the more uh, precise you can design after your uh, training plan
2: yeah one of the things that i'm i'm doing a bit of work on at the moment is uh, we actually published a paper in sports med on it, is this I- idea of um, athlete durability and looking at how thresholds change over time so if for example if you're if you're tested in the lab and you, you say your threshold power is 340 watts is is that how long does that threshold power stay at 340 watts for because if you do a five hour ride for example uh, is your is your vt2 is your threshold power still 340 watts at the end of five hours no it's probably a little bit less so we're looking at some ways to try like it's the same as what you said before is bringing all the sh- bringing all the shit together is using all the wearable data in real time to try and predict how a threshold's changing over time and we've We've actually just been about, about to publish a paper, hopefully, that looks at ventilation rates. So I'm quite interested in ways to measure ventilation in real time. Cause what we found is that um VE, so the amount of air basically you're breathing out for those I know that you're not saying I'm not saying that for you, Dan, I'm saying that for people who, who are listening here that don't know, um, stays <laughs> the same. But um tidal volume and free um and breathing rate increases so i mean but people i mean in the in the people that we tested you were seeing like five percent reductions in vt1 over a two-hour ride so um that's something that i'm we're working on at the moment i'm quite trying to push forward and hopefully at some point build it into some kind of application you know because you can get like um some interesting vests that can measure um, ventilation rate and. And ventilation is much more responsive than heart rate, for example. So I think it's such an interesting area of physiological monitoring in real time. And it'd be, you know, obviously totally non-invasive.
3: Yeah. What do you see as the best tools? Because you say, uh, for sure, it's non-invasive. But um, uh, because you have, I don't know, you have watchers who say they can measure it. You have a whoop band, you can uh, wear a mask. Uh, but what do you see as, um, as really convenient uh, for using?
2: I think um, something in a heart rate strap that's actually able to measure ventilation rate. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, that can maybe a strain gauge in the yeah, strain gauge in there. There was a there was a company, there's a company, and I totally forgot the name of it, that have a, a shirt that measure ventilation rate, but it's a subscription-based thing. Um, so I, I think there's an, also another company um that we had it when I was working for America's Cup Sailing. There was um there was a heart rate strap, it was a called the bioharness that measured ventilation rate as well. So it is possible to do, but it's just um I, I don't, we just don't know how how accurate that is. You can measure ventilation rate for ECG as well, actually, but again, it's really hard to do. It's 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 quite accurate at rest, but um, um it's not accurate um when you hit really high ventilation rate. So that's the part of the problem. well. So. Anyone listening to this who knows a bit about that kind of thing, yeah, just flip me a line because I'm quite, yeah, I'm looking into that space. Yeah, and put me in CC, please. <laughs> 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 yeah, exactly. <laughs> we should make our own email address called Dan Squared and you can just send to, um, just send to directly to both of us at the same time. Yeah, exactly.
3: Yeah. <laughs> we create one account, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, for sure. For me, interesting because I know yeah I, I know some of the athletes what you're coaching, but what are the professional athletes that you are coaching at the moment? And um, because I'm not really sure.
2: Um, so there's Aaron Royal, um, um Chelsea, Jan van Berkel, And I'm still coaching Javier Gomez, but we're we've had a bit of a rough. I told you about this last time when we talked when we talked offline. We just had a bit of a rough time of injury, but, it's been, I'm still helping him and in, I'm still trying to, we're still trying to get back and we we still hopefully have aspirations. So they're the, yeah, four, four professionals. And um, yeah, as you know, professionals take up a lot of time, right? Particularly when one of them is a world champion. Yeah.
3: <laughs> no, that's, uh, that's true. Yeah. But, but with Xavier, yeah. you have then coached him one to one because he was also living in New Zealand, quite, or not?
2: Yeah, he does. So that's quite handy. So um, his wife's um, Kiwi. So during the new zealand summer i'll see him more but then um but then in the and then he's back in spain for the summer the european summer
3: okay
2: yeah it works quite well so during the summer we'll see him but yeah it's been a it's been a really complicated one we you know i think we have a lot of trust with each other we've we've only actually ever done one race together but uh yeah and we're still we're still working through a, a few issues but we're yeah he's he's on the road to he's on he's on the road back hopefully and we'll um hopefully see him racing in um in the in
3: the next season or the or end of the season we we'll, we will have to see yeah on, on short distance he was so a massive athlete with with really great performances yeah free, freakishly
2: talented like like some of the like we had a we had a really good run like I started coaching him and and we had a brilliant run in the lead up to what was going to be Utah the world championships in Utah and it, it, honestly I've never seen anything like it the things he was doing in training but then unfortunately he got COVID just two weeks before and that put and then it was wow. being one thing after another with that and and I, you know as you know it's like I was absolutely devastated <laughs> I think I think my wife my wife says to me often and, and you'll probably feel that you'll probably feel the same is that she said um are you sure you really want to coach professionals because it's it hurts it, it really hurts when things don't go well you know and and um, I think you, I don't know about you, I take it just as hard as the athletes do, but um, it's just professional sport. The lows are really low, but the highs are really high, right? Um, so I don't know if you've actually, if you really had that many
3: lows though, Dan. Oh yeah, for sure I had them, yeah, yeah. So uh, I, 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 I can remember, so uh, one one low was uh, for sure uh, with any, when we, we talk about Olympics, Olympics, basically after the swim, everything was. Already over because she was too far behind, and mm. we had a great preparation. Everything was set up for a good result. It should be yeah, a really a good end to her short distance career. And then basically, yeah, all all went wrong. So that was really like a a hard moment. And then for sure, uh, also several injuries of athletes. Um, um, I don't know from Annie, from Jan, from uh, Lucy, from uh, also some other athletes. So injuries for so me uh, even worse than uh, a bad result in the competition yeah injuries are injuries are hard you cannot sleep you think about it what did you wrong was the low too high yeah. should you do it different because yeah as a coach we also have responsibility yeah so it's not that uh it's like oh okay good then we wait and then we go on no it's it's responsibility is also a matter of trust um and so that's for me always really hard. So uh, that's yeah. the number one. Of what is the hardest thing? So when a- athletes get get injured, and then yeah, if, if they cannot perform at the competition, it's the same. You 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 feel bad the whole day. You have a bad mood. Try to get out of it. Um, it's uh, like my wife probably would say also the same, like your wife. So <laughs> is that yeah, really, good yeah. you, is really good for you? Is really good? I mean, I mean,
2: we, we've especially like we, we've um with Javi you know you I think I think as a coach you have to take accountability right and you have to question what you're doing you can't just you know if you don't do that you're probably not doing you there's no evaluation going on with your your behavior right? so I mean talking of Achilles I was I was racing um I was supposed to be racing Roth next weekend myself and um yeah I had a I had the Achilles my Achilles and I haven't I haven't run for two weeks now so even 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 myself, I uh, managed to give myself an injury too. So it's just so hard. <laughs> it's a real a real pain. But um,
3: but yeah, the the sentence. But I always uh, bring in this situation. I also t- told it yesterday in that congress where I made a presentation. Is Annie wrote me a, a message in, on Christmas a Christmas card some years ago, and one of the sentences was we break a lot, we broke a lot of records and bones together. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> That, that yeah. says a lot about high performance board, and uh, yeah. probably people think, well, what, what is this, but that's, that's the reality, it's, mm. that's how it is. Um, because it's, yeah, it's hard to find the balance, and if you really, yeah. and also now, when, when I talk, for example, to Jan, he said, okay, now we are back, but going to Nice, I want to go there and do everything what brings me in the position at least to fight for the win, even if I don't come there. So it's basically an all-in project, and that is a decision the athlete takes. And then, as opposed coach, we say, "Okay, good. We, we 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 go that way." Yeah. Then there's there's agreed risk with that
2: kind of thing. I think Yeah, even exactly though,
3: agreed risk. Yeah.
2: <laughs> I mean, I had an athlete once where you know they were injured. They had a bone stress injury. Um, they wanted to do a certain race. I said that's in a short time frame. Um, there's a risk associated with that, you know, it's it's probably too soon, but if you really want to do it, we can try. And I think all you can do is evaluate the risk, make them make athletes aware of the risk, and then and then that's and then you you proceed, right? You just go, and then once you're both on board with the agreement, you 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 move forward with that. So then the athletes that you're coaching, I, I think I know most of them. You've got F- Frederick, Frederick Funk, um, Annie. Down the rang, sorry, Jan, Jan Fredino, um, Lucy Charles, and then, and I know you coach a biathlete, right? Um, uh, skiing, which is a bit left field, and then obviously you're involved in the cyclists. Are they, are they the main triathletes?
3: Yeah, the exactly. uh, um, these are the, uh, the main triathletes. Uh, what I'm coach or where I'm uh, fully coaching, and uh, I still um, I still have Eustace uh, Nieschlag, who changed from short distance to middle distance. Yeah. Uh, Who well, I coach now also for a long period already, and uh, yeah, so that's uh, that's it. And like I say, with the cycling, it's enough. It's uh, it's it good. I can do this. I can manage this. But um, what my uh, feeling is uh, is that I want to change this a little bit in the direction also to spend some time with them, and that's uh, yeah on my agenda for for next year to see how can I uh, how can I manage this.
2: Do you find that you naturally like I mean, do you of all the pros that you coach, do you do you feel you're quite equal with the way that you communicate and spend time? Or is is it just or do you find you're spending time you spend more certain people or I mean, in my experience, it's naturally falls a certain way, right? You just naturally some athletes like more communication, some athletes don't like that much communication. And then of the athletes that you've been with together longer, you probably need less communication with as well. I would you
3: know i i generally find and, and that's exactly the situation so you 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 sum it up quite well it's the same for me you have athletes who who are searching for more contact and they get it so in my um, in my philosophy the athletes always dictate how much contact he wants to have or she wants to have um yeah. for sure if i need an information i get in contact and um i get it but um you have athletes who, who write you every day you have athletes who send you like I said, a voice message Twice a week, or some who, when everything going going well, even uh, once a week. Um, that really depends. And normally, the closer the competition comes, the better, the more contact you have. Yeah. So you, um, because then it's then comes more the coaching aspect, and not only the training aspect. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And um, but it's really it it depends. From for me, it's important that the athletes know okay when they want to um to reach me, they 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 reach me, or I will come call them back as soon as possible. And they get the message, and they they get the info what they need. um but, but it's not that I tell them, "Hey, you, we have to speak now every day or every second day. It's yeah, yeah they are I, I have nearly all my athletes are are um, yeah uh, experienced athletes, and that's why, yeah, they have their own life, they have their environment. So they don't need me for the for the um saying to solve the the daily life problems they they need me as a, as, a, as a sports coach, yeah.
2: Yeah, it just it just naturally. It, I, I found the same. It just naturally naturally falls falls that way. So, so you're going to be. You're, I'll be seeing you next weekend in Roth, eh, Dan? But you'll be you'll be there as yep.
3: well. Yeah, I, I will be there. I will be there Sunday, uh, Saturday and Sunday. Uh, that is one of the uh, few few moments where I see uh, uh, my athletes and uh, where I see uh, try a long competition. So I will be there, and we're really looking forward to it. Yeah. So probably we can there have a weird coffee together. <laughs> yeah, well, we might might even have a beer.
2: That how that might be better. A big a big German beer <laughs> <laughs> I forgot. I, I forgot what that was. Um, what are those big German beers called?
3: Mass. Yeah, yeah. One of those. Mas. Big jug of that. Yeah. <laughs> if i drink this then we the conversation is uh, immediately over <laughs>
5: <laughs> <laughs> i basically yeah.
3: just drink alcohol when, when we win something or when there is really a big party so i don't know when i got married then i drink something to uh, yeah. to uh, celebrate but for the rest yeah. not so one liter of beer i think then came over
2: well, maybe maybe after the race you hopefully will we might have a bit of time i mean you have Annie racing, I have Chelsea racing. So both of us can't be drinking a beer for winning, but
3: okay. you know, I'll, drink, I'll drink one anyway. <laughs> both want to see their coach drunk, so okay, they will for sure it will yeah. be the fast race.
2: <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Now, well, it's been um it's been great having this conversation. And um I hope um I hope this is what you were searching for, Jack, with this uh, general conversation and maybe who knows. Next week if um if me and Dan do sit down and have a big a big beer in roads, we will um we'll put our phones down and press record at the same time as well and record the audio for you all. Yeah, probably a good idea. It might, it might not be that great a conversation though.
3: <laughs>
0: <laughs> it
1: might not be as coherent as this one.
3: Yeah. <laughs> okay, no, it was a really pleasure then um speak uh, with you about it, about the topics and uh, I'm looking already for you to meet you person then and yeah cool sure, man we stay in touch and see you next week.
2: Yeah see you next week man all right, okay ciao ciao bye ciao,
3: ciao.
1: I've been using precision fuel and hydration basically all year now. I was just so sick of not having my nutrition nailed. I'd get this sporadic upset stomach like all the time There were long rides where I'd finish and my gut would just be no good. Long rides that were the same, if not even worse, to be honest. And my whole time racing, one of my main worries leading up to the race and in the morning of of the race was just like, how's my gut going to be today? And that's why I made the decision to finally nail it in 2023. And so I tried basically every brand I could find. And after testing everything for a few months, Precision was by far the best brand I tried. Like by far. I never have an upset stomach. I find their products subtle and easy to get down. Um, so yeah, I reached out to them and said, hey, like I love your product. I've been using it for a few months now. It's the only it's the only brand I want to use. Will you support the podcast? And like luckily they said yes, because if not, um, yeah, I, I don't know. I'd be really, like, I'm just so happy that I get to bring bring like the news to everyone and, and provide a discount code so that you can try it for yourself. So I'm, I'm really stoked about that. My favorite products from, from them are the PF90 gel or the PF60 drink mix, which I've been experimenting with lately and really love. Um, both of those I use on the bike. And then the PF30 gel for long runs or run sessions. And the PH1500 electrolyte tablet, I just use all the time. I use it in the mornings or the night before, long training days. Same like with, with the night before and, and the morning of like um, really hot training days where I've got a bit of training on. And I always have it on, on like the swim deck for my swim sessions. Uh, If you care about your training and and you want to dial in your nutrition too, just trust me, go and try Precision Fuel and Hydration and you'll be like me and you just won't go back. You won't use anything else. Use the code HTT23 for 15% off your order at checkout.